Hello and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production of the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In this podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which are just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. So wherever you are, whether on your meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. This week we are going to present to you a very illuminating Buddhist text called The Questions of King Melinda. This week's program will be the first part of the text, with the second part being broadcast the following week on December the 16th. In the text there is a Greek king named Melinda who, unsure of the correct way to view the Dharma, asks a series of difficult questions to the venerable monk Nagasena. Nagasena, through his great wisdom, illustrated the Dharma through common, everyday examples, which eventually led to the king's taking refuge in the Triple Gem. We will begin with the reading of the questions of King Melinda. In the land of the Bactrian Greeks, there was a city called Sagala, a great centre of trade. Rivers and hills beautified it, delightful landscapes surrounded it, and it possessed many parks, gardens, woods, lakes, and lotus ponds. Its king was Melinda, a man who was learned, experienced, intelligent, and competent, and who at the proper times carefully observed all the appropriate Brahmanic rites with regard to things past, present, and future. As a disputant, he was hard to assail, hard to overcome, and he was recognised as a prominent sectarian teacher. One day, a numerous company of Arhats, who lived in a well-protected spot in the Himalayas, sent a messenger to the Venerable Nagasena, then at the Asoka Park in Patna, asking him to come, as they wished to see him. Nagasena immediately complied by vanishing from where he was and miraculously appeared before them. And the Arhat said to him, That King Melinda Nagasena constantly harasses the order of monks with questions and counter-questions, with arguments and counter-arguments. Please go, Nagasena, and subdue him. But Nagasena replied, Never mind just this one King Melinda. If all the kings of India would come to see me with their questions, I could well dispose of them, 
and they would give no more trouble after that. You may go to Sagala without any fear whatever. And the elders went to Sagala, lighting up the city with their yellow robes, which shone like lamps, and bringing with them the fresh breeze of the holy mountains. The venerable Nagasena stayed at the Sankhaya Hermitage, together with 80,000 monks. King Melinda, accompanied by a retinue of 500 Greeks, went up to where he was, gave him a friendly and courteous greeting and sat on one side. Nagasena returned his greetings and his courtesy pleased the king's heart. And King Melinda asked him, How is your reverence known and what is your name, sir? As Nagasena, I am known, O great king, and as Nagasena, do my fellow religious habitually address me. But although parents give names such as Nagasena or Surasena or Virasena or Sihasena, nevertheless, this word Nagasena is just a denomination, a designation, a conceptual term, a current appellation, a mere name. For no real person can hear me apprehended. But King Melinda explained, Now listen, you 500 Greeks and 80,000 monks, this Nagasena tells me that he is not a real person. How can I be expected to agree with that? And to Nagasena, he said, If most reverend Nagasena, no person can be apprehended in reality. Who then, I ask you, gives you what you require by way of robes, food, lodging and medicines? Who is it that guards morality, practices meditation and realises the four paths and their fruits? and thereafter nirvana. Who is it that tells living beings, take what is not given, takes what is not given, commits sexual misconduct, tell lies, drinks intoxicants? Who is it that commits the five deadly sins? For if there were no person, there could be no merit and no demerit no doer of meritorious or demeritorious deeds and no agent behind them no fruit of good and evil deeds and no reward or punishment for them if someone should kill you o venerable nagasena who would not be a real teacher or instructor or ordained monk you just told me that your fellow religious habitually addressed you as Nagasena then what is this Nagasena are perhaps the heirs of the the hairs of the head Nagasena no great king or perhaps the nails teeth skin muscles sinews bones marrow, 
kidneys, heart, liver, serous membranes, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, stomach, acrement, the bile, phlegm, a phlegm, pus, blood, grease, fat, tears, sp- sweat, spittle, snot, fluid of the joints, urine, or the brain in the skull. Are they this, Nagasena? No great king. Or is Nagasena a form, or feelings, or perceptions, or impulses, or consciousness? No, great king. Then is it the combination of form, feelings, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness? No, great king. Then is it outside the combination of form, feelings, perception, impulses, and consciousness? No, great king. Then ask as I may, I can discover discover no Nagasena at all. This Nagasena is just a mere sound. But who is the real Nagasena? Your reverence has told a lie, has spoken a falsehood. There is really no Nagasena. Thereupon the venerable Nagasena said to King Melinda, As a king you have been brought up in great refinement, and you avoid roughness of any kind. If you would walk at midday on this hot, burning and sandy ground, then your feet would have to tread on the rough and gritty gravel and pebbles, and they would hurt you. Your body would get tired, your mind impaired, and your awareness of your body would be associated with pain. How then did you come, on foot or on a mount? I did not come, sir, on foot, but on a chariot. If you have come on a chariot, then please explain to me what a chariot is. Is the pole the chariot? No, reverend sir. Is then the axle the chariot? No, reverend sir. Is it then the wheels or the framework of the flagstaff, or the yoke or the reins or the goad stick? No, reverend sir. Then is it the combination of pole, axle, wheels, framework, flagstaff, yoke, reins and goad which is the chariot? No, reverend sir. Then is this chariot outside the combination of pole, axle, wheels, framework, flagstaff, yoke, reins and goad? No, reverend sir. Then, ask as I may, I can discover no chariot at all. This chariot is just a mere sound. But what is the real chariot? Your majesty has told a lie, has spoken a falsehood. There is really no chariot. Your Majesty is the greatest king in the whole of India. Of whom, when are you afraid? That you do not speak the truth. And he exclaimed, Now listen, you five hundred Greeks and eighty thousand monks. This King Melinda tells me that he has come on a chariot. But when asked to explain to me what a chariot is, he cannot establish its existence. How can one possibly approve of that? The five hundred Greeks thereupon applauded the venerable Magasina and said to King Melinda, Now let your majesty get out of that if you can. But King Melinda said to Nagasena, I have not, Nagasena, spoken a falsehood. For it is in independence on the pole, the axle, the wheels, the framework, the flagstaff, etc., there takes place this denomination, chariot, 
this designation, this conceptual term, a current appellation and a mere name. Your Majesty has spoken well about the chariot. It is just so with me. Independence on the thirty-two parts of the body and the five skandhas, there takes place this denom denomination Nagasena, this designation, this conceptual turn, term, a current appellation and a mere name. In ultimate reality, however, this person cannot be apprehended. And this has been said by our sister Vajira when she was face to face with the Lord Buddha. Where all constituent parts are present, the word a chariot is applied. So, likewise, where the skandhas are, the term a being commonly is used. It is wonderful, Nagasena. It is astonishing, Nagasena. Most brilliantly have these questions been answered. Were the Lord Buddha here himself, himself here, he would approve what you have said. Well spoken, Nagasena, well spoken. The king asked, When someone is reborn, Venerable Nagasena, is he the same as the one who just died, or is he another? The elder replied, He is neither the same nor another. Give me an illustration. What do you think, great king? When you were born, when you were a tiny infant, newly born and quite soft, were you then the same as the one who is now grown up? No, that infant was one. I, now grown up, am another. If that is so then, great king, you have had no mother, no father, no teaching, no schooling. Do we then take it that there is one mother for the embryo in the first stage, another for the second stage, another for the third, another for the fourth, another for the baby, another for the grown-up man? Is the schoolboy one person and the one who has finished school another? Does one commit a crime, but the hands and feet of another are cut off? Certainly not. But what would you say, Reverend Sir, to all of that? The elder replied, I was neither the tiny infant, newly born and quite soft, nor am I now the grown-up man. But all these things are comprised in one unit, depending on this very body. Give me a simile. If a man were to light a lamp, could it give light throughout the whole night? Yes, it could. Is now the flame which burns in the first watch of the night the same as the one which burns in the second? It is not the same. Or is the flame which burns in the second watch the same as the one which burns in the last one? It is not the same. Do we then take it that there is one lamp in the first watch of the night, another in the second, and another again in the third? No, it is just because of the light of the lamp shines throughout the night. Even so, must we understand the collocation of a series of successive dharmas. At rebirth one dharma arises while another stops, but the two processes take place almost simultaneously. They are continuous. Therefore the first act of consciousness in the new existence is neither the same as the last act of consciousness in the previous existence, nor it is the uh, another. Give me another simile. Milk. Once the milking is done, turns after some time into curds. 
From curds it turns into fresh butter, and from fresh butter into ghee. Would it now be correct to say that the milk is the same thing as the curds, or the fresh butter, or the ghee? No, it would not. But they have been produced because of it. Just so must be understood the collocation of a series of successive dharmas. The king asked, Is there, venerable Nagasena, any being which possess, passes on from this body to another body? No, your majesty. If there were no passing on from this body to another, would not one then in one's next life be freed from the evil deeds committed in the past? Yes, that would be so, if one were not linked once again with a new organism. But, Your Majesty, one is linked once again with a new organism. Therefore, one is not freed from one's evil deeds. Give me a simile. If a man should steal another man's mangoes, would he deserve a thrashing for that? Yes, of course. But he would not have stolen the very same mangoes as the other one had planted. Why should he deserve a thrashing? For the reason that the stolen mangoes had grown because of those that were planted. Just so, Your Majesty, it is because of the deeds one does, whether pure or impure, by means of this psychophysical organism, that one is once again linked with another psychophysical organism, and this and is not freed from one's evil deeds. Very good, Venerable Nagasena. The king said, Is it through wise attention that people become exempt from further rebirth? Yes, that is due to wise attention, and also to wisdom and the other wholesome dharmas. But is it not wise attention the same as wisdom? No, Your Majesty, attention is one thing, and wisdom another. Sheep and goats, oxen and buffaloes, camels and asses have attention, but wisdom they have not. Well put, Venerable Nagasena. The king asked, What is the mark of attention, and what is the mark of wisdom? Consideration is the mark of attention, cutting off that of wisdom. How is that? Give me a simile. You know barley reapers, I suppose. Yes, I do. How then do they reap the barley? With the left hand they seize a bunch of barley. In the right hand they hold a sickle, and they cut off the barley with that sickle. Just so, Your Majesty. The yogin seizes his mental processes with his attention, and by his wisdom he cuts off the defilements. Well put, Venerable Nagasena. The king said, When you just spoke of the other wholesome dharmas, which one did you mean? I meant morality, faith, vigour, mindfulness, and concentration. And what is the mark of morality? Morality has the mark of providing a basis for all wholesome dharmas, whatever they may be. When based on morality, all the wholesome dharmas will not dwindle away. 
Give me an illustration. As all plants and animals, which increase, grow and prosper, do so with the earth as their basis, just so the yogin, with morality as his support, with morality as the basis, develops the five cardinal virtues, for example, faith, vigour, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom. Give me an illustration. As the builder of a city, when constructing a town first of all, clears the site, removes all stumps and thorns, and levels it, and only after that he lays out and marks off the roads and crossroads, and so builds the city. Even so, the yogin develops the five cardinal virtues with morality as his support, with morality as his basis. The king said, What is the mark of faith? Faith makes serene, and it leaps forward. And how does faith make serene? When faith arises, it arrests the five hindrances, and the heart becomes free from them, clear, serene, and undisturbed. Give me an illustration. A universal monarch might on his way, together with his fourfold army, cross over a small stream. Stirred up by the elephants and horses, by the chariots and infantry, the water would become disturbed, agitated and muddy. Having crossed over, the universal monarch would order his men to bring some water to drink. But the king would possess a miraculous water-cleaning gem, and his men, in obedience to his command, would throw it into the stream. Then at once all fragments of vegetation would float away, the mud would settle at the bottom, the stream would become clear, serene and undisturbed and fit to be drunk by the universal monarch. Here the stream corresponds to the heart, the monarch's men to the yogin, the fragments of vegetation and the mud to the defilements, and the miraculous water-clearing gem to faith. And how does faith leap forward? When the yogin sees that the hearts of others have been set free, he leaps forward by the way of aspiration to the various fruits of a holy life, and he makes efforts to attain the yet unattained, to find the yet unfound, to realise the yet unrealised. Give me an illustration. Suppose that a great cloud were to burst over a hill slope. The water then would flow down the slope, would first fill all the hills, clefts, fissures and gullies, and would then run into the river below, making its bank overflow on both sides. Now suppose further a great crowd of people had come along and unable to size up either the width or the depth of the river should stand frightened and hesitating on the bank. But then some man would come along who conscious of his own strength and power would firmly tie on his loincloth and jump across the river. And the great crowd of people seeing him on the other side would cross likewise. Even so the yogin when he has seen that the hearts of others have been set free, leaps forward by aspiration to the various fruits of the holy life, and he makes efforts to attain the yet unattained, to find the yet unfound, to realize the yet unrealized. And this is what the Lord Buddha has said in the Samyutta Nikaya. By faith the flood is crossed, by wakefulness the sea, by vigor ill is past. By wisdom cleansed is he. The king asked, And what is the mark of vigour? Vigour props up, and when propped up by vigour, all the wholesome dharmas do not dwindle away. 
Give me a simile. If a man's house were falling down, he would prop it up with a new place of wood, and so supported, that house would not collapse. The king asked, And what is the mark of mindfulness? When mindfulness arises, one calls to mind the dharmas which participate in what is wholesome and unwholesome, blamable and blameless, inferior and sublime, dark and light. These are the four applications of mindfulness. These are the four right efforts. These are the four roads to psychic power. These are the five cardinal virtues. These are the five powers. These are the seven limbs of enlightenment. This is the holy eightfold path. This is calm. This is insight. This is knowledge. And this is emancipation. Thereafter the yogin tends those dharmas which should be tended, and he does not tend those which should not be tended. He partakes of those dharmas which should, not, which should be followed, and he does not partake of those which should not be followed. It is in this sense that calling to mind is a mark of mindfulness. Give me a simile. It is like the treasurer, treasurer of a universal monarch who each morning and evening reminds his royal master of his magnificent assets. So many elephants you have, so many horses, so many chariots, so many infantry, so much infantry, so many gold coins, so much bullion, so much property. May your majesty bear in this mind... In this way, he calls to mind his master's wealth. And how does mindfulness take up? When mindfulness arises, the outcome of beneficial and harmful dharmas is examined in this way. These dharmas are beneficial, these are harmful, these dharmas are helpful these are unhelpful. Thereafter, the yogin removes the harmful dharmas and takes up the beneficial ones. He removes the unhelpful dharmas and takes up the helpful ones. It is in this sense that mindfulness takes up. Give me a comparison. It is like the invaluable adversary of a universal monarch who knows what is beneficial and what and what harmful to his royal master what is helpful and what is unhelpful thereafter what is harmful and unharmful can be removed what is beneficial and helpful can be taken up the king asked and what is the mark of concentration? It stands at the head. Whatever wholesome dharmas there may be, they all are headed by concentration. They bend towards concentration, lead to concentration, incline to concentration. Give me a comparison. It is as with a building with a pointed roof. Whatever rafters they are, they all converge on the top and bend towards the top, meet at the top, and the top occupies the most prominent place. 
so with concentration in relation to the other wholesome dharmas. Give me a further comparison. If a king were to enter a battle with his fourfold army, then all his troops, the elephants, cavalry, chariots and infantry, would be handed by him and would be ranged around him. Such is the position of concentration in relation to the other wholesome dharmas. The king then asked, Then what is the mark of wisdom? Cutting off is, as I said before, one mark of wisdom. In addition, it illuminates. And how does wisdom illuminate? When wisdom arises, it dispels the darkness of ignorance, generates the illumination of knowledge, sheds the light of cognition, and makes the holy truth stand out clearly. Thereafter, the yogin, with, with his correct wisdom, can see impermanence, ill and not self. Give me a comparison. It is like a lamp which a man would take into a dark house. It would dispel the darkness, which illuminate, would illuminate, shed light, and make the forms in the house stand out clearly. Well put, Nagasena. Thank you for joining us. We will continue the second half of the questions of King Melinda next week on Sunday the 2nd of December. Sunday the 16th of December. Before we end this program, we would like to express our gratitude to all the Dharma teachers of the past, present and future, and wholeheartedly request them all not to pass into Parinibbana, but instead stay to assist us and all sentient beings in their struggle to find wisdom and true, lasting happiness. May I be well and happy. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy. This script was prepared and edited by Nita Carter, Frank Carter, Evelyn Martin and Alex Lohman. Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to our other recordings, go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings. Or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.